Uh, good evening. Um, it's, it's lovely to see such a, a, a good turnout for this, this uh, talk. Let me introduce myself, Chris Alden. I'm with the uh, International Relations Department, but more importantly for this occasion, I'm with the head of the uh, Africa uh, program at Ideas here at the LSE. We're having a, a, a very uh, interesting and, and quite topical discussion this evening. Two, two experts, uh, from uh, one from Nigeria, one from China, to speak on the question of, of uh, China's role as a, as a new entrant into the, into the sphere of security within Africa. Um, this is a talk sponsored as part of a, an overall program called Africa Talks, uh, which uh, seeks to bring uh, dynamic uh, topical issues to, to LSE and uh, audiences and beyond that. So uh, our thanks to, to Africa Talks for supporting this uh, um, uh, event. Um, let me get right to the, rather than give you uh, the long prelude, let me uh, get right to the, to the speech, uh, to, the, to the discussion and presentations. Um, I have two speakers today, Professor Bonnie uh, Ayudeli, who's from, uh, who teaches political science at, at uh, KT State University, um, uh, focused on security and conflict issues uh, in Africa, and, uh, uh, and, and he will uh, speak first. Uh, Professor Pang Zhongying, who uh, teaches at Remen University, again, also teaches in international relations, has, has been uh, interested in global questions of, of China and China's relationship, Chinese foreign policy and China's relationship uh, uh, to the world and the changing order. The, in some sense, the origins, I owe it to you to tell you the origins of this, is we're in some sense rehashing a discussion we had a, uh, at a, a retreat outside of Addis Ababa in October. Uh, the China-Africa Academic Forum um, had a meeting whose focus was uh, on China, uh, Africa, and security. And so we all sat on a panel and we were, were opened up the questions as it were at a very free and frank exchange of ideas around the question of, of what role uh, does China have in, in, in African security questions? How does Africa define that and how does it think of China's engagement? Questions around non-intervention, non-interference, some of those classic questions were raised. And, and tonight what I hope to do is extend that sort of discussion, crystallize it, and, and uh, share that, have my colleagues rather share that with you. So if I might, might uh, start by asking uh, Professor Ayudeli, please. Let me start by recognizing everybody uh, this evening and welcome everybody uh, this evening on the LSA African Talks, African Security and Internal Intervariance. Uh, my topic basically focus like Chris said on African security and external interference, the role of a newcomer, China. When I first saw this topic, I felt that um, China as a newcomer, yes, we could recognize China as a newcomer in African politics and internal, and internal uh, African affairs, but then I saw that we shouldn't limit this particular topic to issue of security only. Because what actually brought Africa, what actually brought China rather, 
to Africa is more than security issues. It involves more or less like developmental issues and the quest to search for energy in Africa. Uh, therefore, what I did is to look at issue of security from African perspective and also touch on issue of African development. Again, I ask, can we rightly describe China as a newcomer? Over the years, China has always been friendly to some African states, including Angola, Egypt, before the end of Cold War. War. But I said, we could as well regard China as a newcomer. At the same time, I would want to describe China as a real game changer. African security and its development. So I perceive that Africa, uh, China should be a real game changer, and we will look at that particular, uh, we, look, we will look at China in that perspective, both as a newcomer and at the same time as a game changer. I started by looking at historical background on African-China relations. I listed some of the points here. The bilateral relations, which happens to be one of the earlier inter levels of interactions, has always been ideological driven. Then having colonial solidarity, they all belong to members, to the same member of Global South. Even though many people will not agree with China as labeling themselves as developing economics, they still tag themselves as developing economy. They share the same same international relation doctrine of non-interference and non-interventions in members' affairs. Though African Union has gestation the idea of non-interference and non-intervention in the contemporary African uh, relations. But I equally ask why China, why the sudden interest of China in Africa, why suddenly China becomes an issue to be discussed and to be debated within African, African affairs. One, we recognize the fact that China's economy is growing. China has the second largest economy in the world. And perhaps they need African energy to drive that particular economy. Then I said, the Western apathy towards African government actually creates more or less like a lacuna for, for China to actually come into African uh, affairs. <coughs> now, China foreign policy itself is, is designed within certain premises and certain principles, which include equality, mutual respect and benefit, sovereignty and non-interference. But if you ask, beyond that, what are the interests and the strategies of, this, of driving this particular foreign policy? Those China's major interests remain largely on trades, energy, and the expansion of market. But it's true that China adapts its foreign policy to its domestic development strategy. In other words, China is looking for more energy to sustain its economic growth. And that particular domestic development strategy borders on making so much friends within the control of countries that could support its industrial development. Now, again, China adopts what I call aggressive diplomacy to get trade deal, therefore giving aid packages with some Africans without necessarily putting any conditionalities involved. Again, over time, China has been able to 
employ professional body, use academic platform and cultural changes to deepen his relationship with Africa. Now, I ask what are the African security and development challenges and developmental challenges? I pointed this thing out so that we could be able to actually analyze critically why, if and why China is engaging in Africa. One, there are armed conflicts in Africa. There's proliferation of small arms and light weapons. Africa has one of the poorest borders you could see in the world. The population of rural and urban is bulging. Africa is one of the fastest, is having one of the fastest population, growing population in the world. Now the transnational organized crime within the frontiers and boundaries of Guinea-Bissau, Guinea-Kondakri remains internally dangerous. And recently, the ethno-religious extremism and fundamentalism remained, con continues to grow within Africa. But yet, China remains a major player in Africa. Now, about African development, which are numerous, but equally we re recognize that infrastructural development is quite weak in Africa. Africa lacks the technological know-how to be able to drive its own economy. So economic development is actually a problem. Poverty is on the increase, despite the growth. HIV AIDS remains one of the daunting crises of Africa. In terms of the leadership, we've been able to get leadership deficient and leadership deficit. Then issues on environment and climate changes remain very, very daunting on African development. Therefore, it is important to ask if China's sudden aggressive engagement in Africa is premised in assisting the continent to overcome its security and developmental challenges. Providing answers to this particular question may be very difficult, very cumbersome. Can we really agree that China is engaging because they want to be a player in resolving African conflict? Or why is, Africa, why is China in Africa? On security issues, I said China is a complete newcomer and also a game changer. China has no history of engagement in African security prior to 2000, uh, the end of Cold War. There is a changing pattern of engagement, especially on the issue of diplomatic making and peacekeeping. We recognize that China is having one of the largest armies in peacekeeping activities in Africa, at least amongst, uh, amongst the members of the Security Council. China has the largest security engagement in Africa. They are both using, China is using both bilateral and multilateral diplomacy, more of a two-tracked diplomacy, and that is equally recognized. China deals with individual nations in Africa. They have embassies in virtually all countries <coughs> in Africa. Not only that, and they also engage in multilateral diplomacy. They have relationship with the continental body, which is African Union. And in this respect, like I said when I was with some of my colleagues, I said the African Union House in Ethiopia was actually given by as a gift by China. So, and there is uh, what I call collaboration with AU in terms of support, technical and logistic funding, and funding. 
and again they participate in diplomatic peacemaking. The case of Sudan and uh, South Sudan is, a, is an example. Again, China engages in UN peacekeeping missions, substantial involvement in African peacekeeping force. As of, I think they have about seven, they are engaging in seven uh, peacekeeping missions in Africa right presently. They also play a neutral role in both intra and intra, based on non-intervention and interference, which is a bit uh, contradictory in a way. China also partner with AU and, P and African Peace and Security. China trains, China, the training of African standby force and personnel is done by China too. Providing logistic and funding, China is a major arm trader too to many African countries, especially Nigeria, Sudan, and, and Sierra Leone. China is also a game changer in respect to its sudden interest in Africa why the West has shown little attention. They are part of the West. This is also a game changer in the way other emerging economies have suddenly focused on African continent. We <coughs> now find the, uh, the, 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 the engagement of Russia, India, Brazil, participating more in African development and African energy sector. It has also created a new perspective to which other major powers sees Africa. The France, speech, uh, France president's speech in Algeria and Senegal reflected this. Now, why does China suddenly embrace UN peace missing missions and why focusing on Africa? Traditionally, China did not believe in peacekeeping from the Western and the liberal perspective. And this started from outright rejection in the 1970s to reluctant participation in the 1980s, and now to prolonged involvement in 1990s to date. China is currently engaging more in African, African peacekeeping activities. While Beijing has clearly shifted its foreign policy to one that permits limited peace, of peace operations from traditional diplomacy of the use of diplomatic diplomacy to resolve conflict to multidimensional peacekeeping support, they now contribute to Unimis, Munok, and Unami, and also enforce, and also show some kind of support for Bosnia and Somalia peace enforcement, which is traditionally uh, unlike uh, uh, China. But majority of Chinese insistence that the concept of the hosting nations still remain very valid. So for the Beijing to require to agree that it is acceptable. Now China has participated in about seven peacekeeping missions in Africa, and that's about 70 percent of their peacekeeping peacekeepers in Africa. China, like I said, is the largest contributor of peacekeepers to Africa among the United Nations Security Council. Again, I listed all where the Chinese government are involved. The question that I ask further is: Why is China relation growing in Africa, and what does this pertain to other actors? in the continent. Now, this may be entirely African perspective, but indeed, African leaders prefer non-interference foreign policy of China. The question directed to Omar Bashir of Sudan and that the president of Gabon reflected these two. They will always tell you that China <coughs> respects 
not only the territorial integrity of nations, but also respect government of different African nations. They do not talk down to leaders. By this, China, they prefer to do business with China. And this will make China's relations to continue to work stronger. African leaders to accept mutual respect and partnership and non-imposition of economic paradigm on the continent. Most of the failures, uh, most of the economic paradigm Africa had witnessed over time and which had failed Africa were actually designed and concocted by the Western leaders. China feels very comfortable with African weak governance structure. Yeah, that is quite true. Because they could work stronger too because China does not, China actually recognizes the fact that they could do business with weak governance structure of the African countries, even when they are being called democratic state. China economic growth and energy needs still require us to be pragmatic and resolute in seeking friendship. And African development is in, African is in their need of development and intervention which China can provide with minimum conditionality. China equally has the technical expertise and technical know-how which serve as alternative to Western technology. China has economic and financial muscle to compete with any nations, just like uh, Indian competing with uh, China in Africa. Yeah, it looks like a mismatch because definitely China has enough funds to be able to compete well and be able to add muscle in there in any kind of uh, all uh, in engagement. So then, I, I want another factor is the dwindling interest and the poor economic reality of the Western nations. The West, most Western nations that are regarded as superpower and who are formerly engaging in African affairs are growing at, at the rate of 1% every year. That is not enough for them to actually intervene externally. The problem at home needs to be, first of all, be resolved before the cool extend out. Then China, like I said, the second world's largest economy and the second largest military. The volume of African investment, of China's African investment has surpassed 166 billion, surpassing that of US, Britain, and France. For example, at the end of April 2012, China direct investment in Africa reaches 15.3 billion. Even though, if you look at that, they there is what I, what 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 there's decrease in terms of uh, growth of foreign direct investment in Africa. But yet the projection is that within the next ten years it might double. And China has the largest foreign direct investment in Africa. There are more than two thousand Chinese enterprises in fifty African countries. And 75% of investment go to finance, manufacturers, trade, agriculture, and transport sector. China, too, has power over the media. Over the media power, China powers over the media are spread to African continent. I watch China TV virtually every day in my house without subscribing for it. China has the largest peacekeeping, like I said, among the, I've said that one earlier, and China support its African diplomacy with subtle 
academic institution and cultural rights change. Recently, a governor in Nigeria just uh, uh, tried to include the speaking of Chinese as part of the curriculum uh, issues in African uh, in his own uh, state uh, education sector. And this shows much about how Africans are embracing the issue in China, uh, embracing Chinese uh, development and uh, culture. <coughs> Again, there are so many institutes, so many universities now studying China, uh, China economy, China, studying China cultural issues, and etc. And this is also this deepening and expanding the scope of Chinese reach within Africa. And what does this, what, what does this pertain to other actors? And what does it pertain to the African continent? No doubt, the aggressive demand for natural resources continues. Highly and remains highly competitive amongst the major actors, the major energy drivers economy, energy-driven economy in the world. Like I said, stiffer competition among actors and we still continue. There is again as shown new focus on Africa. Like I said, Brazil, Russia, who traditionally could, wouldn't have participated in African economy, has shown interest to participate. In Angola, for example, we've seen the ends of, of the Brazilians. Uh, Russia is cutting uh, and uh, trying to lure in Uganda to exploit the resources there too. So a lot of involvement, a lot of people focusing on, a lot of nations focusing on African development, African continent, in terms of seeking their uh, resources. There is equally likely to ret return to the old hegemony. I mean, in terms of African nations being polarized along the satellite and very, very alliances. Now, how is African, how is China, China's engagement in Africa field? Why, uh, why is African still growing? One of the reasons is that uh, we've heard about the, story, the, the, the resource grabs theory. We've heard about exploitation and China slavery, the new colonialism, the scrabble between the West and China. The development is not organic, rogue state syndrome, deceptive security arrangement. Beyond all this, the truth is that African nations welcome Chinese engagement and involvement. And again, can we pin down the development in Africa to Chinese involvement or engagement over time? And the question I ask for is African financial relations in the context of security and development sustainable? Sustainability depends largely on the concept of mutual respect and benefit. Every nation desires that. And relationship can only be sustained if there is mutual respect. Again, China's philosophy of quest for more energy is likely to promote sustainability. Why many fragile political order in Africa, the cost of the cost of and returns of on investment is very high, and that will be will still make the relationship to be very sustainable. Africa economy too is growing, and is China is an influencing factor in that respect. China's spread of Africa can also means the area of sustainability. Let me thank you for your attention and the opportunity given to stand at the podium of the prestigious LSE. It is an experience of your lifetime, and I'm looking forward to more. Thank you.
Thank you very much. If I can ask Professor Palm. Thank you very much. Thank you, and uh, 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 I'm I'm so honored and so glad to to be invited to speak. Thank you very much to give me uh, this uh, very important opportunity uh, to express my uh, personal view, personal perspective, according to my personal uh, capacity uh, on Chinese-Africa relations, and. Uh, Largely, I share and uh, something, some points, and uh, our Africa colleague just uh, expressed, and uh, I just uh, focus on uh, uh, a relatively specific issue. My title is "From No Interference to Constructive Intervention," and uh, the subtitle is "Defining the Good Good Intervention." Good intervention. And uh, Chinese politics uh, is now once again standing at a crossroads, and because and we we are now uh, welcoming the new leadership, other uh, uh, Mr. Xi Jinping and uh, the leadership, and uh, uh, from Chinese uh, foreign policy uh, uh, change perspective, and uh, uh, from. Uh, Chinese uh, Africa policy perspective, uh, I think, and uh, we should focus on uh, is is continuity and is a change, and uh, um, there are a lot of uh, home home discussions on the next Chinese foreign policy, particularly Chinese foreign policy towards Africa, and uh, uh, this is a summary, and uh, my summary. And on Chinese home discussions, our Chinese foreign policy toward <coughs> Africa. And uh, uh, before I uh, uh, comment uh, these two schools, two schools, and uh, let me let me just uh, mention two points. One point is, and uh, uh, both China and Africa have agreed, and uh, the relationship between the two sides should be uh, a strategic partnership. And the second one, and deepened and strengthened Chinese-Africa relations are the new developments of globalization. And now, and China is one of the setters of globalization and a major driving force to globalization. And China has been, has been globalized, but now, and China began to globalize the world. And uh, uh, this is the two, two points. Uh, let me mention the two schools, two discussions in China. One discussion was to let Chinese foreign policy, particularly China's uh, policy toward Africa, continue. Continue. And the means uh, and uh, China uh, continue the existing uh, foreign policy towards Africa. And uh, 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 for example, the non-interference, and China will uh, let the policy non-interference remain. And uh, the other school is change, the change. And uh, uh, because China faces so many challenges in Africa and uh, elsewhere, 
and uh, China needed to explore the further advancement of the relations with Africa, in particular, the degree to which the constructive intervention, necessary, conditional, uh, uh, legitimate, and, uh, and uh, this is a, this is an official official um, uh, uh, term, constructive intervention. I quote I quote this official uh, uh, term, constructive intervention, and maybe you have already know, pay attention to this constructive intervention, and uh, this is my uh, major forecast tonight, and. Uh, 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 such intervention uh, should not be misunderstood by the outside uh, uh, Chinese world. And I think this intervention, Chinese intervention, is constructive, necessary, and conditional, and uh, legitimate, and uh, 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 multilateral, and as well as uh, cautious and pragmatical. <coughs> Uh, let me further explain the meaning of a constructive intervention. And uh, uh, this is not about military, um, uh, um, uh, unilateral military interventions uh, by Chinese uh, uh, forces. Uh, but uh, this is a Chinese responsibility um, and, uh, 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 in Africa. Um, China is well discussed internationally and nationally as a so-called re-emerging great power in the world. So China is responsible to provide initiatives, solutions, rules, and arrangements for uh, uh, Africa peace, security, stability. And so and, uh, uh, in China also discussed a principle. A principle means and, uh, and China accepts uh, Accept um, uh, uh, U.S. Um, U.S. doctrine and uh, the U.S. former uh, Deputy State Secretary uh, Robert Zolik and uh, um, he, uh, he is a former uh, President of the World Bank. In 2008, uh, 2005, uh, Mr. Zolik coined the term so-called responsible stakeholder. Later on, China accepted, and uh, but but. Uh, but China uh, uh, say, and China um, uh, is always re responsible in the international community, and China also accepts the, multilater uh, uh, the stakeholder multilateralism, and uh, China is a stakeholder, and China acts in Africa, and within the multilateralist frameworks as a stakeholder. Uh, also, China supports more Africa solutions to Africa issues. And this is a fundamental principle. And uh, let me give uh, uh, two developments and uh, also touching two issues. One development is last year, last July, and uh, the FOCAC meeting in Beijing. This, uh, this is a very important meeting um, and the recent uh, latest development between China and uh, Africa. And uh, this meeting and, uh, is, uh, was characterized by uh, by a, a new initiative. This is a historic development, and as, as, as uh, uh, our colleague from Nigeria mentioned, and uh, China for the first time and uh, initiated uh, uh, China-Africa Cooperative Partnership for Peace and Security. And uh, this initiative 
was well, uh, well received uh, by Africans and by the international community, uh, by United Nations, of course. And uh, uh, this is a Hu Jintao's, uh, Hu Jintao's speech at the opening, uh, opening ceremony at the FACAC meeting in Beijing last year. And uh, we should promote peace and stability in Africa and create a secure environment for Africa's development. China will launch the initiative on China-Africa Cooperative Partnership for Peace and Security, deepen cooperation with Africa Union and Africa countries in maintaining peace and security in Africa, provide financial support for AU peacekeeping uh, missions and the development of the Africa State by Force, as well as train more security officials and peacekeepers for the AU. And uh, 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 last year, last year, and uh, uh, Dr. Alden, Dr. Alden, and uh, we three joined uh, um, the China-Africa SIGTEC Forum in Ethiopia last October, and uh, this initiative uh, well discussed in the, in the meeting, and uh, in this. Um, initiative, there is a key um, um, keywords and called uh, preventive diplomacy, and China would like to pursue such a preventive diplomacy in Africa. And uh, uh, let me see, and uh, Chinese uh, um, uh, constructive intervention should be understood as a broadly defined uh, ones, and uh, not only uh, the narrow uh, areas such as uh, peacekeeping. Uh, but also others, and uh, um, I just uh, mentioned uh, several several ones. Uh, the first is soft power, and now China addresses the uh, importance, maybe strategic importance of soft, soft power in Africa, and uh, China projects its soft power, and uh, and and uh, and China uses its soft power, and you can have many uh, many cases, many examples to show, and China is now and uh, exercises its soft power to promote Africa's peace and security. So soft power matter really matters. And, uh, and the Chinese uh, development experiences uh, um, are the major, major sources of Chinese soft, soft power in Africa. And uh, such a, a development, a recent, a recent latest uh, uh, development experience are uh, attractive. And... Uh, um, uh, we can also discuss other dimensions of Chinese soft power. For example, and uh, China addresses the non-state actors and should play more important roles in uh, uh, projecting Chinese soft power. And so uh, that's why and the Chinese universities now building Confucian Institute and in Africa. And. Uh, um, the other um, uh, maybe constructive uh, 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 intervention issue is global governance. Let me mention and China addresses uh, uh, Africa's importance in United Nations and uh, uh, along with the reform of the Security Council of the United Nations and China addresses and uh, um, uh, Africa should play a key role in the reform process. Also, China builds, continue to build good relations with the African Union. 
and uh, uh, on cl uh, climate change and, uh, and other areas, for example, development cooperation, trade, and uh, international money, uh, monetary fund, and uh, the World Bank reforms, and the G20. And recently, and uh, BRICS, BRICS, um, um, this, uh, this is a new term, and uh, this year, and uh, this forthcoming March, and uh, Chinese uh, new president, Xi Jinping, will join the summit in South Africa. And uh, BRICS, BRICS, South Africa is a member of the BRICS, and the BRICS is not a, a replacement, replacement to G20 on to existing international institutions, but uh, it is a new development to help to help and uh, readjust the world order. And uh, so many, so many articles and the papers and the conferences on BRICS. I think this is a positive develop, development. And uh, for example, and in, in G20, there are three conferences. One is G7 or G8. The second um, uh, is the so-called middle power, middle power groupings, and uh, uh, South Korea, Mexico, Indonesia, and uh, uh, even Turkey, and other so-called middle powers now grouping within the G20 framework. And uh, so, and uh, larger uh, developing countries, including Russia, and also try to um, group uh, themselves as BRICS. So BRICS is a conquest within G20. So it, it is a new element to forge the new world order. Uh, let me conclude. And uh, China began to improve and redefine its Africa policy to readapt to a changing Africa and, and the globe. And uh, I think and, and China in the future, in the next future, and uh, will continue to explore its new foreign policy directions. And Africa uh, maybe and, uh, is a relatively a, a, a easier area to explore such a foreign policy, new foreign policy. So, and uh, a new development is the coexistence of no interference and uh, constructive intervention. And, uh, um, but a, a very interesting question, very important question, and China is still not solved such question, uh, is and how to invent and how to implement and the constructive intervention. And uh, uh, this is a challenge. And uh, uh, finally, uh, let, me, uh, let me point out, and China would like to uh, explore the coordination and the cooperation and, uh, with, with the West, with the European Union, with, uh, 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 with the British, and with other uh, uh, external uh, actors in Africa. And, and uh, this is so important. There are uh, uh, already trilateral cooperation and coordination and dialogue and among China, Africa, and, uh, and the Europe, and uh, Euro European Union. And uh, also, and the China, United States, and uh, Africa, uh, uh, and, and uh, uh, the trilateral dialogue. And also, and uh, in BRICS, and the Africa issue, Africa issue is uh, is a topic in BRICS discussions. So, and uh, and China would like to coordinate, uh, coordinate and cooperate with, <coughs> with others in Africa for Africa peace and security.
This is my uh, 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 four-point uh, uh, concluding, concluding points, and I would uh, respond to your comments and questions. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, can I, uh, I, I think I'd like to open it up to the floor. Um, and if I'd ask that you, as we conventionally do, if, uh, please identify yourself, um, uh, institution, etc., cetera, uh, before you uh, pose your question. Hi. I'm Professor Jay from South Korea. Uh, my question is for uh, Professor Pang. Um, how big is the interest of China in Africa in terms of natural resources such as oil and minerals? Uh, could you elaborate on that? Thank you. Let's, let's answer. Yeah. One, one, well, let's do one at a time and then see. Okay. Yeah. And uh, uh, I think and, uh, and, uh, um, at home and the uh, Chinese economy is so-called market economy and the socialist market economy. And China is a part of the global economy, globalized economy. And so, and the, and the Chinese relations, resources-based relations with Africa, no, based on this, this common principle and the shared principle of global economy. And, uh, and, 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 and the China play, China plays in Africa by global Global rules, just this. And China also faces challenges such as resources nationalism and uh, other challenges. You know. And uh, and Africa uh, parties and uh, buggy with China over prices and over supply of resources. So and the times changed, and uh, and 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 the Chinese companies. Now in Africa, and uh, pursue resources, you know, buy resources, and uh, develop resources, and uh, in the changed environment, African countries all sovereign, independent states, and China also faces other competitors challenge, challengers, and uh, India, Brazil, the new, um, uh, relatively newcomers, and the old, uh, you know, older players. There's someone over there. Uh, my name is Stephen Haggard. Professor Pang, isn't there a conflict between uh, what you've described? On the one hand, uh, China wanting to work in coordination with uh, international uh, bodies and other, the rest of the world. Uh, on the other hand, uh, wanting what you called more African solutions to African problems when those solutions may be, uh, as in the case I'm thinking of perhaps um, Kagame, let's talk about, or perhaps uh, Mugabe, might be solutions that uh, arise, that give rise to differences of opinion um, uh, in the rest of the world. How do you think that conflict will be resolved? Uh, you know, this is a difficult compromise, Different compromise for 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 single national foreign policy, and let me let me take the a recent and uh, latest development in Mali. You know, and uh, China as a member of the State Council of United Nations, China and uh, supports 
the new resolution on Mali. And uh, also, and uh, today, and the Chinese Foreign Ministry uh, declared that China will join the Mali International Corporals. And uh, if, if, you know, the peacekeeping operation, uh, peace, peacekeeping troops organized, and China will, will be part of such international peacekeeping operations in Mali. Also, China will provide the, the conflict, post-conflict uh, uh, rebuilding processes in Mali. So and uh, and China will definitely will coordinate with 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 France, with European Union, with the West, and as well as with with the African Union. And China favors African Union takes the central a central role in solving such Africa challenges conflicts. Well, Hi, my name is uh, Barry Curland. I'm in the Masters of International Political Economy here at LSE. Um, uh, uh, Dr. Pong, this is to you again, sorry to be picking on you here um, with three straight questions, but this is actually a follow-up on your bringing up the, the Mali issue. Uh, today, the, the um, sort of contributions from a round of uh, or a meeting of donors, uh, international donors were announced, um, and the contributions, not to just say that a money contribution to a future operation um, defines an interest of countries, but um, the contributions were led by Japan and Western countries with uh, upwards of $100 million for Japan and up around $100 million for other countries. And China um, was noted as donating a $1 million to the uh, effort. Um, my question is, is it possible that uh, or what would you say is is sort of the Chinese response to possible allegations that Chinese interest in terms of uh, the decision to get involved in certain uh, foreign affairs issues might be driven by future um, profitable cooperation as opposed to simply security um, issues themselves? Okay, so just to be clear, you're, you're, saying, you're asking whether... Uh, Chinese engagement in peace operations of one kind or another will 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 be weighed in terms of potential contracts and things like that. Is, is that um, economic I, I wouldn't, advantages? I wouldn't, it, I wouldn't put it exactly that uh, black and white. But what I would say is um, that the sort of in your presentation, the sort of decision-making process or how to become engaged in what are African solutions to African problems. Uh, the decision-making process wasn't really set out. Um, how does China decide whether, whether there is a, a possibility of projecting soft power, um, what situations attract such power, and uh, what is sort of the decision-making process between a, a solely security issue and then issues that might enhance cooperation with African governments that might lead to further benefits down the road? Okay, and uh, uh, I think that uh, any external player in Africa and uh, uh, its right role is constructive and helpful and contributive, you know. And uh, finally, and uh, the, the issue, the security challenges should be managed by Africa itself. 
by Africa peoples, Africa politicians, Africa societies. And uh, this is a fundamental, so fundamental. So and uh, and uh, uh, for China and and uh, and the, and the China can can contribute to money, can provide assistance, and uh, uh, but uh, uh, also can can provide soft power, and uh, but such things, no, and such things, if you would like to let such things work, and you need to. Uh, 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 no, and uh, find the the fundamental, the the local, the the, the local driving forces to solve problems, solve the issues. And uh, uh, I mean, and uh, and uh, the Chinese intervention role, and uh, maybe uh, try to reduce, reduce, you know, the external uh, influences. And uh, to reduce external interventions means bad interventions and uh, bad influences, and uh, because and such a, such a interventions maybe made the things get you worse rather than get you better. Well, I just want to contribute to this because the concept of African solution to African problems. Uh, was actually coined by Africa himself. That was in direct response to what happened in Rwanda and Somalia when the West looked at the other side and the crisis was so deep. Africans now decided that they must refocus and that was what brought about the change in the organization of the African Union. Now, let me answer the young man's question. The question of whether the Chinese are engaged because of certain uh, criteria they may or future relationship or something, China operates in Liberia, in Sierra Leone. Those countries, besides the exception of Sierra Leone, has limited natural resources. Ethiopia is one of the poorest countries in Africa. They still engage. Well, that is not to foreclose the fact that the, expansion, the, the, the interest of the China could be in widening their market in terms of goods and other things for future relations. They could be, that could be what they're masking, but indeed, we've seen China intervention in some area in issue of conflict resolution in Africa, and those countries does not even have, they do not have uh, natural resources enough to warrant their interventions. So in most cases, the whole conception of an African solution to African problem was actually because, and that was one of the points raised when AU intervened in Libya crisis. African solution to African problem. Africa designed real for platform of engagement with the rebels and Mama Gaddafi, but the West do not agree to that and the fact that Gaddafi must leave. And that was the platform of African solution to African problem. Let us resolve this issue in African way. Thank you. Let me, let me pose a question if I can interrupt here and, and as the chair uh, to both of you. Um, what if African solutions to African problems doesn't protect the Chinese economic interests and in particular the citizens? Let's take, we t spoke earlier today about uh, uh, events on the Delta in Nigeria, uh, some kidnappings and those sorts of things. One can envisage uh, uh, a scenario where that 
could trigger a reaction domestically within China, Netsons, uh, uh, people uh, responding, pressuring the Chinese government to, to uh, step in or secure their, their, their citizens' interests. Uh, the government in Nigeria is not responding from the Chinese perspective sufficiently. How do you reconcile uh, that form of – what does it mean to operationalize constructive intervention in that setting, and how does that – how does a, a Nigerian government react to that sort of thing, or how do Nigerians react? Well, <laughs> well uh, we must understand the dynamics and interplays within African setting. African society is not structurally – is not the structure of African society is not as detailed as that of the West. Now, for me, I do not see how China could respond unilaterally in security-wise to some of its attack on these nationals. Now, recently, China has one of the best relations with Afri most African government, and concerted efforts are made by other by government of different nations when Chinese nationals are involved in one other security threat or, or the other. In Nigerian context, all the state security system in Nigeria is deployed to at least meet the requirement of the Chinese demands. That strategy is always there. But within the context of the African, the, the Nigerian security challenge and challenges, it is quite very risky for China, for example, to carry out a unilateral security apparatus against the state. That even negates their own philosophy of non-interference, mutual respect, which they eulogize so much in their philosophy of their foreign policy. So there's no way they could have intervened. And in the case of any conflict, what I see is that they, the Chinese, the Chinese uh, government apply more of subtle diplomacy and pragmatic diplomacy to get things done within African nations. Some of them are the issues on developmental issues which they do engage in, and these are parts where Chinese can get this way done. But they could become more so a unilateral security arrangement. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, secure Chinese interests and the nationals. And uh, this is a hot topic in China. And, uh, and uh, a very hot topic in China and uh, overseas, so-called overseas Chinese interests and lives and how to protect them. And uh, uh, so far, and, uh, and maybe uh, some scholars, some analysts uh, uh, consider and China also and the copies of Western models to use of force unilaterally to protect the Chinese interests. If Chinese interests are threatened and the Chinese uh, nationals kidnapped or killed, and China and the use its strong military on other and the strong uh, intervention forces to, to intervene, and in the name of uh, protecting Chinese nationals and the Chinese um, the assets, but so far, and the Chinese Chinese government rules out such a possibility, and uh, and China continue to explore the possibility other arrangements. For example, and the negotiation with even with <coughs> and uh, with the the, the the militants, the militants, yeah, the militants, and uh, and 
and others, and uh, um, and China, from the long-term perspective, China would uh, pursue uh, regional governance to strengthen Africa Union's authorities and Africa Union, and also strengthen global governance, and uh, to uh, to fundamentally, finally, and uh, secure Chinese interests in Africa. <coughs> and uh, and I think no no uh, better choices uh, to solve such a question. And the Chinese nationals and uh, will continue to face and uh, such risks and even be killed in Africa, be uh, kidnapped and, uh, tomorrow and after tomorrow. And uh, such things and the China. And, uh, and the Chinese decision makers and the Chinese investors and uh, travelers should be ready you know, to face such challenges, I think. Okay. Other questions up at the top? Yeah, I have a about <coughs> Please introduce yourself. Uh, hello, my name is Andrew. I'm studying accounting and finance. And um, I have a question. Uh, uh, what do you mean when you say Africa? Because... When you say China, there's an there's like an ideology and a culture, a people you know that that's driven the state for many thousands of years. But when you say Africa, there's there's this whole diaspora uh, of the continent, and we're not I'm not sure which you're, you what you're mentioning to because there's like North Africa, South Africa. There's also the middle, Central Africa. So I'm just confused. Like, what is this Africa that you're talking about? Uh, of course, there's a there's a geo. There's the geo boundaries of, of the continent itself, but when you're referring to a state, like a unified state, um, I, I'm not sure what, what it is. This is not a question, and uh, and the China, China, and the, um, uh, many Chinese know this diversity of Africa, uh, and uh, and uh, but uh, but uh, but uh, but uh, we know, and Africa as a whole, it is a continent, not only a continent. It is a civilization, Africa civilization. And uh, you know the U.S. professor Samuel Huntington's Clash of Civilizations. There is a term of Africa civilization, and uh, and uh, so and uh, Africa as a whole, not only a geographical uh, term. I think it is a political and economic <coughs> term. Mother, political economic term. Well, well, I think basically you want us to operationalize Africa to define what we mean by Africa when it is used. We use Africa interchangeably when we want to refer to continent, either politically or economically. Uh, When we make decisions in respect to state, that means that we were specific with our examples. Like I mentioned Ethiopia, and I mentioned mentioned Mali, and et cetera. We will be specific in that context, but generally we can still apply it to Africa generally because the debate focuses essentially on Africa. Thank you. Up there in the middle. Hi, I'm Stephanie. I'm an employee at UBS Investment Bank. Um, You seem to be clearly favorable over China's involvement in Africa. How would you, I think you've kind of touched on it before, but how will you kind of tackle the criticism that Chinese involvement is just another form of neo-colonialism, basically, and the whole approach towards peacekeeping is just basically a foot-in-the-door method of gaining control over Africa? My sister, let us speak to facts. Let us back our analysis with facts. <laughs> huh? 
we should back it up with facts. Now, let me tell you one thing. Western perspective about Africans' engagement in Africa have been described by different associations. One is a, is a new form of colonialism, is, is an exploitative uh, venture. They are, I spell all those things out. Now, I will give you my own perspective. When I went to Addis Ababa and I saw African Union, I recognized that. According to Bashir, 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 President Bashir will say that the West of them, democracy, good governance. Those are institutional building. They couldn't say anything. But the Chinese came. We saw road. We saw dam, improvement in our electricity. Now, in concrete terms, it could be. Equally, all nations, all actors within African continent came there to come and exploit Africa one way or the other. But how could we measure the impact of their, of, of their engagement? Only China is having standing army in Africa. Those are facts. We speak to facts. So now characterizations of, of China in Africa could be done by different people. But from my own analysis, which I've looked at the fact and figure, I seriously believe that those characterizations are quite misnomer and misdirected. That is my candid opinion. I think and we should, uh, should be cautious to use the term neo-colonialism. Neo, uh, neo uh, and uh, this term and uh, so, so dangerous and uh, should, should avoid and because and uh, and Africa countries, all Africa countries are now independent ones and sovereign ones, and uh, you can use such a term to show and uh, and to criticize and the Chinese Africa policy, but uh, you must consider the reactions of the Africa peoples and Africa society and uh, and and uh, so and if China really and. Uh, uh, Chinese companies and the Chinese individuals really neo-colonialized Africa. So, and uh, uh, I, I think and uh, and uh, and uh, and uh, maybe and uh, and uh, such a if if so and uh, and uh, so the judgment and the reactions and the responses of the local Africans. And, uh, and uh, 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 so important. Let them to say, and uh, the Chinese presence presences in Africa are um, um, uh, um, uh, neo-colonial or not. This is my reaction to your to your question. This is a very old question, relatively old question. And uh, several African leaders, for example, and uh, South Africa President Zuma, and uh, repeatedly said and. Uh, Chinese in Africa, not as a contact, uh, conduct of neo-colonialism, clearly, and uh, and and not you can mention and the president and the Zimbabwe and the Mugabe on and, and others and uh, and uh, um, uh, uh, maybe you cannot believe uh, President Mugabe's words, but and uh, South Africa democratically elected President Zuma's words should be believable. Sorry, please let me add one more uh, pusa. China began its engagement in Africa around 1990s. 
Within the last 10 years, we've seen the growth of African economies within the last 10 years. What do we attribute it for? to? What can we attribute that to? Now, another question is this. It is true that African state is very soft. And perhaps China do not encourage support for institutional building in terms of democratic good governance and etc. They do not lay emphasis on that. But because they do not lay emphasis on all those issues does not mean that they are exploitative or they are neocolonialist. We've seen countries from north, west, etc. coming to Africa doing similar things that China has done. So, sincerely speaking, I do not share that sentiment and I reject it in totality. Let's go here. Here and then I'll, I'll, I'll keep neglecting this side. So here and then over there. <coughs> Hi. Um, thanks. Hi. Um, my name is Garrett. I work at Business Monitor International. Um, so uh, following on from your last point, I was just wondering if you take something that's relatively widespread, such as the Chinese export of labor to carry out these projects across Africa, which is a kind of a widely used tactic, strategy, um, how would you reconcile Obviously, at the expense of tr training the local labor force, employing the population, which is, which is sorely needed in Africa, how would you reconcile that, say, with, you know, with sort of this idea of mutual respect of, sort of African development solutions? Um, surely, surely there's a contrast between the two. No, if I want to give you a response, I have one. Steve Jobs told Barack Obama that all the, all the companies in the entire America is moving to China to, to, because of cheap labor, right? Is that not movement of labor to, to, to Chinese where that Americans are losing jobs? Now, the truth is this. In terms of development of the manpower in Africa, we could rightly ascribe to China not doing much in terms of training the locals. But equally, we've seen Part of the argument and part of the debate against the Chinese investment in Africa is that they normally come in drove with their men instead of employing the local nationals. But I've been to Ethiopia again. I will cite Ethiopia again because what I saw in Ethiopia made me believe. I gave me one kind of belief. I went to the factory operated by the Chinese government, a whole very, very massive place. And the majority of people working there are Ethiopians. Another issue is how much they pay them. I do not look at that particular area. But massive people that were employed there. These are what I saw by myself. So in there are some work that require technical ability, which the locals may not have. But it's not to say that the Chinese, when they come to engage in your country, do not develop the manpower. All our power industries, the rate line are developed by the Chinese. They are turning them around. And these are Chinese engagement and investment. Thank you. Let me, let me, let me, let me mention uh, a fact. And uh, in, in China's largest, the third largest city, Guangzhou, in South China, and uh, there are at least uh, statistically at least uh, 20 hundreds, uh, 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 200,000 uh, 200, Africans 
um, legal, uh, um, legal ones and illegal ones. This is a headache, headache issue. Also, you can find so many uh, Africans in uh, China's and uh, province Zhejiang, uh, Zhejiang very close to Shanghai, and uh, in Yiwu town, and, uh, and, uh, and so many African workers, uh, legal one and uh, illegal one. So I think <coughs> the, the, this, this is a two ways, two ways flow. This is a phenomenon of globalization, and the challenges, and China also facing and uh, such challenges from Africa, uh, humor flows. So and uh, 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 this issue can be managed globally and regionally, bilaterally and multilaterally. Okay. Um, over here, I also want to urge people to keep in mind the, the key theme, speaker's themes, which were around the question of intervention and security concerns. Okay, up there and then the gentleman below. Um, hi, my name is Toby Obisani. I'm a medical student at Imperial College London. Um, the question I had for uh, Professor Ayodele is what, <clears throat> what can African governments do to sort of aid the process of making China's engagement a bit more constructive? No, that, that's a very difficult question. I would like to... Constructive <coughs> engagement, like you said. Well, I have... The system of governance in Africa needs to be restructured. One, to allow more confidence building among the Chinese so that they could assist in details. Because internally, if the internal system is not conducive for any kind of constructive engagement, then definitely countries will not really do what they should have done. Uh, what I've seen over time in most of the countries I've visited in the African continent and uh, that have a large chunk of Chinese uh, investor is basically that the system is so weak if the West comes to, I am telling you the system will remain very weak. We not not naturally project the intention of those investors. I mean the level of corruption in nations, which those people are even scared of, remains very, very anti-development. And there are other issues. The laws are so soft. People do not enforce law. Security of life and is not cannot be guaranteed. All these factors play then the constructive engagement you could have found amongst foreign investors, not only China, not only the Chinese. But how do we improve Chinese engagement in Africa? Um, we need African, most African government needs to improve on their security and stability of governance within those countries. I think that can be can make any nation that can be very attractive to very uh, all investors that I know of. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my name is Benjamin Baker. I'm a master student over at the School of African Oriental and African Studies here in London. Uh, my question is for both of you, but I'd like to pick up on one of the topics that you mentioned, Professor Pang, about the hot topic of uh, consular protection of Chinese citizens and assets in Africa. Uh, during the 2011 Libyan civil war, the, the uprising, 
uh, there was several instances of Chinese uh, military assets, the frigate Zuchou and also several uh, Air Force planes that evacuated citizens from, uh, from Libya without permission from either the NTC or the, the National Transition Council or from the Gaddafi government. So my question, and like, this was, of course, to safeguard their, you know, their, their physical integrity, because you can imagine that they get in you know, a crossfire. So my, my question to you is, do you, or to you, uh, would you reckon that this is the beginning of some kind of trend? Are we going to see this more around Africa with Chinese expats being caught in internal African conflicts and the, that the Chinese government will have to do, take measures to, to get them out? Uh, <coughs> policy and, uh, and, uh, and the China uses, uses the hard power to, to play and uh, but this is this is instrumentally, just instrumentally, and uh, in the emergency situation and collaborates and coordinates with with European countries and several European Union members and Greece and uh, Italy and France and, uh, and so and uh, I do think and uh, and uh, this is a uh, this is a very rare case. And uh, very special, and uh, and China and uh, 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 not e- uh, the unilateral use use of its force to do so, and also also China undertakes international responsibility, you, you know, and uh, and uh, and uh, there are other nationals, Philippines and the Vietnam's and the Thailand, you know, Thais, you know, and uh, and also and. Uh, 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 freely takes the Chinese uh, uh, Chinese uh, Chinese shapes, and uh, so and uh, 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 such things also a way of China contribute to uh, uh, global or regional public goods. Now I'm not so sure whether there was regime change during that period. The old thing. In Libya, still remained very dicey. Then, Gaddafi was not totally removed. When I think Shana did that, I do not know. But beyond that, you must be able to understand or contextualize the relationship between Libya, I mean, and China during the period of Gaddafi, and how Chinese interests were actually threatened by the new regime. The new regime felt that they were. Uh, China was giving support to Gaddafi, and because of the interest of the of the of the Chinese and their investment in China, so that could have played up, no doubt, into why China actually moved its nationals without the consent of NTC or something. Here, and then over there. So first Hi, I'm Ao Xitian, and I studied uh, international relations theory here. And uh, uh, thank you for the uh, very impressive uh, lecture. And uh, I want to ask a question uh, for uh, Professor Pam, because uh, um, I'm quite interested in the phrase of non-constructive uh, intervention and preventive diplomacy. So we know in the, um, Africa, 
the still countries facing the state building and uh, some humanitarian condition. So I want to know whether this belongs to non-interference or constructive intervention. So how to balance in terms of the state building and the humanitarian intervention? Uh, let me see. If, if you, if you um, check uh, regional charters of uh, China's neighbor, ASEAN, Southeast Association of Southeast Asian Nations, ASEAN, it's a regional charter. And uh, if you check the Africa Union Constitutive Act and the UKC, the non-interference principle uh, is, uh, is me in such a, a regional charters, regional constitutions. And uh, China and uh, the other countries, Africa countries, and uh, other developing countries still share this principle, non-interference. And, uh, and uh, this and, uh, and uh, it is regarded as one of China's political advantages, rather their political disadvantages in Africa. This is a shared principle. This is not, not and the, the Chinese principle, non-interference. This is an international principle. And uh, also, and, uh, such regional charters and uh, signify have signified uh, and uh, the fundamental changes uh, in the post-Cold War era, and uh, and uh, such regional organizations and uh, countries pursue uh, changed their attitude towards non-interference, and not absolutely, but relatively. So uh, finally, and China also learns to. Uh, change its, its attitude towards non-interference. And China would like to also would like to explore the possibility of intervention, conditional intervention, constructive intervention, legitimate international intervention, and cooperative intervention. And uh, that's why China also, like others, let the two seemingly conflicting principles coexist. Okay. Thanks very much. My name is Emily. I'm a lawyer and also um, okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm a lawyer and I'm also um, studying on the LLM human rights. Uh, my question is directed to both of you. Um, I do know from the China Daily last year, 20, uh, the year before last, 2011, that 700,000 hectares of land in China were used for um, infrastructure, building new railways and developing the country. And apparently that same land could have been used to um, uh, grow at least 3.5 million hectares of rice to feed the nation. Now, my concern is, um, also Professor Aydele, you mentioned that um, Liberia and Sierra Leone have got no uh, particular natural resources that China could be interested in. My concern is that China may be interested in land in Africa. And my worry is, if you're going to get so much land in Africa to grow your own resources, what is the benefit for the poor masses in Africa, A, and B? Uh, Africa has got um, not very fine structured legal tenure systems for land ownership. Um, what is the long-term um, What's the, what's the long-term ownership of China of the land that belongs to the Africans? Twofold. Okay, thank you. Uh, 
Let me quickly respond in, in terms of what you're talking about is land grab. <coughs> land grab issues in Africa, which is now being debated. Um, indeed, uh, I know the structure and the laws on land in Africa is quite poor, no doubt, in terms of how land is given and land is assessed. But uh, I did not say Sri and uh, Liberia don't have natural resources. They do, but not in a very limit that China could be uh, interested in. But beyond that, I've seen, I've read in some of these journals where I've seen the, where I've read about China doing land grab in Africa. And that still remains very, very contentious in Africa. Uh, the, the governments in Africa are yet to design appropriate response in respect to what happens to the land uh, of which could have been used by poor people in Africa to actually sustain themselves. Uh, even some of the lands being used in construction of uh, dams and others remains highly contentious too. But yet African has not been able to respond appropriately to that kind of uh, demand. And my fear is, uh, is like most African nations, because they, they require funds, they need money, they tend to forget what could have happened in the nearest future if the land is given out. It's still, uh, the, the situation still remains very, very critical to Africa. I think one would need to do a paper in respect to that on what happens to the people within those particular regions where the land, the land is confiscated and sold to China. I think, from my own point of view, is one of those issues that we should, African leadership and African government should try to work against. That's my own candid opinion. Thank you. Let me, let me briefly respond to your question. And uh, let, me, let me see uh, in general terms. And uh, uh, development, the relationship between development, so-called development, economic growth or economic development, and, uh, and the human rights, this is, a, this is a mostly complex issue. And take the Chinese, our Chinese experience and China has, and in some areas, some sectors, some regions in China, now developed, or relatively developed. But the implications of such a development for China's human rights, you know, and you can say, and development, and increases China's human rights, improves Chinese human rights. But the develop, economic development also in the expense of Chinese human rights. Also, yes, now development becomes a common theme in Chinese-Africa relations. And uh, for secure, securing and the common improvement of uh, human rights, and uh, the both sides and the international community needed to regulate and uh, to govern and uh, uh, and uh, to, uh, and uh, in order to let develop economic development uh, 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 improve human rights records, rather they are the worsen the human rights records. This is a common common challenge, our our common our global common challenge. Okay, we have time for two more questions. I'll take one at the far back and here. Hi, I'm Peter Adefioye from ING Investment Bank. Now, sir, I'm Professor, my brother, I'm quite, I'm, quite, I'm quite disappointed at some of the observations you put forward. 
Now, although you're talking, I agree with some of the facts you're putting forward, you're also negating some of the disadvantages that China has to bring to Africa. Now, you spoke, now sticking to the theme of security, is this not the same Chinese or China that, that supported the Sudanese government who are responsible for the mass killings in the fur? And is it not a coincidence that China are the biggest economic supporter of, <laughs> of Sudan in terms of their oil? 40% they own of their economic oil. I, I would really like to think, I would really like to hear what you think about that and you, sir, on the left. Okay. And then, as I said, why don't we take this last question and then you can answer, both of you can answer the, collectively those two. Hi, my name is Sarah Halil, I'm a junior doctor. My question Speak is... Speak up, they can't hear. My name is Sarah Halil, I'm a junior doctor. Um, my question is kind of related to this one. Actually, it's about security. Um, I think you mentioned that China was the um, biggest arms exporter to Africa. And I was just wondering, in the context of poor governance, civil wars, all of that happening, you know, where do these arms end up and do you, how much of a negative impact do you think that is on fueling sort of civil wars in Africa? Okay. I was just going to say one thing. One thing is that it, is, it isn't the biggest arms exporter. We're living in one of the countries that exports more arms. Biggest, so. yes, now, let me try to respond to my brother over there, who is disappointed about what we saw there. I speak and I spoke to Fat. I speak and I spoke to Fat. I do not know where you cook your own analysis from. Now, the oil has been there in China and in Nigeria. Nigeria is one of the greatest producers of oil in Africa. Have we been able to develop our oil to the extent that the Western world has now involved or engaging in oil? Have we done that in Nigeria? Now, Sudan is producing. And you said 40% of it has been done by Chinese. Well, who will have done it? Do we have the manpower? Do we have the resource? Do we have the technology? Now, I do not understand, but... The lifestyle of Sudanese has improved over time. If you think it hasn't improved, it has tremendously improved. <coughs> China, uh, Sudanese economy is growing. Now, I do not know why the economy is growing, but I know China is part, playing part of it and is working in, 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 uh, in Sudan. So also where they've been able to touch. They may not be perfect. I'm not saying they are perfect. They have their own weaknesses too, which everybody knows. But indeed, I spoke to FAT. And I supported all my argument with fat. Uh, the second issue has to do with what my sister said there about, um, I did not say like uh, Professor Chris just corrected, not the biggest exporters. Part of the argument against the Chinese engagement in Africa is that, though they participate in peacekeeping effort, they equally promote conflict by selling small arms and light weapons to some of the Africans. Uh, small nations and weak nations, which more or less extend the frontiers of conflict and the climate of fear. They do that. And that, as always, I share the same thing with you. They do the arms and ammunition sold to small, small countries in Africa ended up being expanding the frontiers of conflict. And that is one area that African government too should focus on. Thank you. No. Nothing. Silence. Okay. On that, on that uh, note of silence, uh, we, we will uh, um, thank the speakers. <clears throat> and
And thank you for, for coming here. Have a good evening.